here we are. Welcome to What a Word is Worth. This is a space for creative minds to speak about viable ways to heal the world through writing and other inventive mediums. This is your host, Marianela Medrano. I am the founder of Palabra Training Center, where words are giving us medicine. My guest today is a shiny star, <laughs> my colleague, Sandra Hunter. She has written stories galore and is the recipient of the 2018 Lorian Hemingway Short Story Competition, among many other awards. And I am delighted to have you here, Sandra. Welcome. Thank you, Marinella. It's, it's a delight to be here. Yes. So we met at a fantastic gathering of women writers at Coast Ranch in beautiful Santa Fe, the land that was tended and loved by Georgia O'Keeffe. And I remember feeling so taken by the power of your writing and your presence. And I'm curious to know, what was your first encounter with the power of words? And do you believe that there is healing in that power? Well, <clears throat> the power of words came, as so many writers will tell you, from not being permitted to speak. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> there was a lot of conflict in my family. And we were told to be quiet, but it was mm. always safest to be quiet. And so because <clears throat> I wasn't permitted to speak, uh, I found other ways to use language. Mm. So I was one of those peculiar kids who used to talk to themselves on the way to school <laughs> and I'd have wild conversations and would imagine other people and speak for them and speak for myself and speak for them. And of course, those conversations never went the way I wanted them to when I got to school. But it was a, it was a, a really amazing world where language mm. could flow without mm. being told I wasn't to speak. Mm. So I started, I think, as a lot of writers do, by writing awful poetry <laughs> and you know, poetry that I would never look back on. Um, and that continued until I realized I wanted to do more with it. Mm. And I felt a really strong connection with, with writing for characters. So dialogue was immensely important to me mm. because dialogue was the way that women were, were just able to reveal identity mm -hmm. in the way that was being repressed in a lot of other areas. So freedom, was speech to me, the freedom to express, the freedom to become, the freedom to dimensionalize, the freedom to reach other people was through the voice. And still to me now, voice is identity. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Do you, so that the freeing was by creating characters, right? Um, and did you get to a point though where it was easier then to enact um, or actually materialize the conversation with, let's say, people who had power over you? No. No? No. 
I never did. I suffered because of it. I mm. um, there was a lot of sexism and patriarchalism in England at the time mm -hmm. when I was at college. Mm -hmm. um, I suffered because which completely um, impacted my undergraduate degree because of mm. that because I couldn't speak truth to power. Mm. Um, and so I felt belittled and made mm. smaller because of it, mm. and, which was extraordinary because you go to the university to expand, to right. grow into new worlds. And I did with friends, mm. but with male faculty, mm. it was always a problem. Male, white faculty, it was always a problem. And so that if you didn't conform rigidly to what they wanted, mm. then there would be consequences. Mm. So it was after leaving <clears throat> college and going to Kenya for two years and working with people that I started to find I was moving into my voice much more easily. And so yeah. it, it became a place where there were no expectations of me. I wasn't in England being looked at as a person of color, uh, as you know, that there were definite patriarchal issues mm -hmm. in Kenya, but not issues to do with race. Yeah. And that's when I was able to start becoming so more. Vocal. It was easier. Yes. 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 So let's go back to the beginning, to your first, uh, your debut novel, Losing Touch, um, a novel that unfolds the complexity of identity mm -hmm. at many levels. And the story circles around the ebb and flow of family dynamics, right? Um, Tell us about the creation of female characters just opposed to the male ones. And I guess the curiosity I have is if you were to rewrite it, will you change anything? This is a great question um, because very often I go back to short stories or I used to, I've learned my lesson, I don't do that now. And I'll look at the story and go, I don't believe I wrote that. <laughs> I would re rewrite this so differently. With that book, because it was predicated on my family's move mm. from India to England after mm -hmm. independence, I wouldn't change that, mm. that trajectory. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I changed the characters to be Indian. My family on my father's side is Anglo-Indian. My mother is Sri Lankan, Portuguese and Dutch. Mm. So that was changed and they were given Indian names and an Indian background and there was mm. you know, all those things that went on with conforming, not conforming to the dominant racial culture. Mm. Um, and it was extremely interesting to me how in the family, the women dominated in the kitchen and the men dominated in other areas and mm -hmm. women struggled for power in places where they didn't have power. So they held onto the small amount of power they had while the men <clears throat> were free to dominate in economic ways, in patriarchal ways, in, um, in ways that were very damaging, in fact. So the idea was to try and do that without victimizing, without demonizing, and to show these people as you know, just normal people, flawed and beautiful and triumphant, triumphant and graceful and gracious and mm -hmm. loving and yet damaging at the mm -hmm. same time, which I think is probably what happens with most uh, children of immigrants, because Absolutely. there's this real, you know, struggle between cultures and struggle right. for control. And as an immigrant, you have the least control. 
Mm -hmm. You come into Mm -hmm. the dominant culture. If you're lucky, you speak that language. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're struggling to make your way, get a job. You realize your Mm -hmm. accent doesn't conform. Your choice of, you know, your lexicon doesn't conform. So you are clearly an outsider. And if you look like me, Mm. look like you we are clearly Mm. not from the Caucasian culture right right so in that way I understood how particularly my father struggled to remain in control and become much more uh, disciplinarian um, Mm. even Mm. as he strove to become British it was it was a very interesting Mm. uh, combination at the same time he had um, spinal muscular atrophy which you know really affected him and again we have changes which occur because of disease which make you more introspective which make you more open and perhaps a little less um uh judgmental i Mm. think when you Mm. have to suffer like that so his trajectory is about that change and coming to love his family at Mm. a point sadly when it's too late Mm -hmm. so there is a lot of uh biographical here that is of course Painted by, not painted or um, diffused, maybe you will say, mm-hmm. by um, the creative flies that we take. Yes, will you say that? <laughs> I think yeah. that's true. What mm-hmm. it gave me the freedom to do by making them Indian, giving them Indian mm-hmm. names and Indian mm-hmm. customs and all the rest of it, it gave me the freedom to really explore. <clears throat> the um, the conflicts that they underwent, the repression they underwent, yeah. the, the kind of racism that was very, very, um, very apparent, openly apparent in po- post-World War II England. Yeah. So, um, and then was... in India as well, right? Like racism, even to these days, is so alive, right? Colorism, yeah. most, most. Colorism mostly, right? and also mm-hmm. culture because there's a real <clears throat> push towards Hinduism as being the dominant mm-hmm. culture. It used mm-hmm. to be much more tolerant. Mm-hmm. Now it's not. Mm-hmm. But colorism and um, classism in India has been around mm-hmm. centuries, right? Yeah. Um, so um, that, yeah. yeah. So that if you have a lighter skin, you've Mm -hmm. clearly been nurtured indoors, you're from a rich Mm. family, you know, Mm. you're uh, Mm. Kshatriya or or Brahmin. But if you have a darker skin, then you've been working outdoors, you do manual work and all the things that are associated with it. It's very clearly demarcated. And, you know, well, when I've been to India, the first time I went there, I was so amazed because I grew up in a culture that wanted to whiten everything so mm. you know the 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 whitening products were quite abundant in my country but then gradually they kind of disappeared mm. so when I went to India and I saw that every little corner had uh, an ad of a whitening bleaching product yeah. and I was you know, um, so taken by by that. And and yeah. also at the same time, I understood it. I mean, I grew up with that. So I know where it's coming from. I think it's also very much more exacerbated by um, the prolific production of films mm-hmm. in which the characters are all light-skinned. You know, the, the main characters are very light-skinned. You'll have yeah. darker-skinned characters, but they take the comedic role, they right, take the right. servant role, they yeah. take the peripheral roles. 
yeah. very much like you know the American film industry until Absolutely. much more recently right, right. and right. definitely in the British film industry so there yeah. is that assumption that is being propagated to mm -hmm. all of India mm. and to other countries that that watch these programs oh, that pervasive. you know the lighter the skin the better the richer the nicer the, mm -hmm. the person mm -hmm. so you know that's mm -hmm. that's still very much problematic. it's that it stays very alive um, you you mentioned the cocktail of uh, uh, races, backgrounds that form your family. When, at the moment of writing the novel, what made you choose the Indian um, heritage as opposed to the others? I think Why it's because um, the, 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 the main character's arc is my father's arc, mm -hmm. his emotional mm -hmm. arc put it that way and also mm. the arc of his disease the rest mm -hmm. of it is, is very much fictionalized mm. so his family was anglo-indian but Ang his family started with the british occupation of india mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. back in the 19th century and earlier mm. than that but his family mm. started around then so it was uh conscripts coming over from england and being um being situated in India for long, long period, you know, mm. years at a time. Mm. And it wasn't possible for them to go back home and marry. So they started intermarrying among mm. the Indian women there. And this was encouraged by the British Army because married men were more stable. Mm. And yeah. secondly, they recognized they would have a buffer race between themselves and the Indians, you know, big mutual mm. distrust and dislike, mm. obviously, mm. as people who are being colonized, you know, they're having their power taken away, their country taken away, and as colonizers, not trusting the people who were indigenous. So this buffer race of Anglo-Indians that grew up as a product between, you know, British and Indian marriages, mm. meant that they could put those people, that tribe of people, if you like, into places of, Communication, so post office and railways and telegraph mm. and police, all of those positions at that time were held by Anglo-Indians. And Anglo-Indians had this really peculiar idea about themselves that they were superior. Mm. Right? Superior, yes. Despised course. by both the British and the Indians, mm. but they felt they were superior mm. and they very much identified with the British. So you'll get a lot of Anglo-Indians calling England home when they've yeah. never been there, would never have gone there, would have been terribly lost if they'd gone there in the first right. <laughs> So that seemed to me, because my father, really interestingly, called himself Indian. Mm -hmm. He wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, so he felt very much more, he felt very much more Indian. And that was his defense uh, against being rejected. Mm -hmm. as a brown person in England so he mm. started claiming that side of himself so it felt much more comfortable to go from that perspective to have that settled instead mm. of having to um, look at the complexity of uh, mixed race heritage mm. as well as being an immigrant as well as dealing with a terminal disease so for yeah. that those were too many things <laughs> to yeah. in one novel so it just made it more simple to just Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. It's so much, um, uh, you know, how much uh, colonization has pretty much the same mark all over, like you're speaking. And I'm like, yeah, that was us with Spain. Mm -hmm. You know, Spain was the motherland. Yes. And <laughs> it was something else, but we're not going to go there. But let's go. <laughs> 
Um, let's go to, you said that you started writing awful poetry, which I haven't, I have a hard time believing that because when I, when I read Airdrop, your short story is full of poetry. Thank I will you. say it is a beautiful rendition of poetic justice. Pond clearly intended here. <laughs> what, what is the greatest uh, satisf satisfaction that came from writing the story? Such a complex. Um, I felt like as I was reading it that I, I, I was really taken through so many um, narrow passages to make me feel um, what it is to be oppressed, what it is to be um, looked down, the gender issues. I mean, there is so much pack in that story, but again, the poetic language, um, it's, it's just delicious. <laughs> but what, what, is the, what is the greatest satisfaction that comes from it for you as, as the mother of the piece? <laughs> well, definitely this reaction of yours is extremely, <laughs> extremely wonderful. And, and it's lovely to hear back from readers when I do readings or if I work mm. in schools, I love all of that. Um, I have to interpolate here that the poetry writing as a child was not the same <laughs> as the writing. <laughs> as I got older things, you know, I learned a lot of different things, read a lot, a lot of different books and was lucky enough to do some creative writing studying uh, in my career. Mm. The satisfaction that I get um, from writing these pieces is lifting a voice that might not normally be heard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of the stories, the, definitely the ones in the chapbook and the ones in the uh, collection mm -hmm. are of children. Mm -hmm. And children are usually set in these socio-political backdrops that are really conflicted. Mm -hmm. It's war or they're being oppressed or something's mm -hmm. going on. Sexualized. Right? Sexualized, exactly. Mm -hmm. And trafficked. And mm -hmm. but the thing that really lifts the story is the beauty of the child's expressions of loyalty mm. and passion and mm -hmm. love for each other and hope mm. and to mm. me that 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 shows the best of humanity mm -hmm. it's from those because they these children are in these circumstances through no fault of their own they're having to survive mm -hmm. very often without parents or despite parents spouses mm. or despite spouses so that their their common bonding is something that we want you know we, we're attracted to as readers we want them to succeed we want them to survive we want them to be safe yeah. and sometimes they are and sometimes they're not mm. and it's not about the sadness when they don't survive mm. um, I'm thinking of the story where the girls flee the Moroccan husbands and they get into the boat and they try to get to Spain right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's obviously sad they're not going to survive but mm. it's the beauty of the friendship and the beauty mm -hmm. of the, the the freedom the freeing mm -hmm. of the female mm -hmm. voice in mm -hmm. those circumstances that emerges as as funny and flawed but compassionate and fiercely mm -hmm. loyal mm -hmm. and that that just does it for me I just love yeah that. 
Yeah, and the poetics here, um, but in the in the particular story with the politician and mm -hmm. um, and the little girl, um, you know the 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 power that is in the mischievous, I guess, mm -hmm. um, is, is, is one of the things that was captured there. Well, am I reading it right? Yes, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you have this extraordinary combination and, you know, full disclosure here, mm -hmm. this was my response to the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and his election to the Supreme mm -hmm. Court. And so I decided to write, you know, well where the story came from. This is where the story came from. This entitled white male that's yes. used to having everything his own way and just, you know, is going to uh, be this male alpha, yeah. alpha male person and meets this person who is none of that mm -hmm. and can completely control him. And it's mm -hmm. this young girl with this, um, this genetic eye condition where the, mm. uh, you know, the pupils have fallen and she's just... Mm very arresting to look at and she's almost boneless the way she can fold herself mm -hmm. away right and she creates this chaos in his mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. that he wasn't expecting and even though her end is is very sad mm -hmm. she has shaken things up forever mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's where the power is right like you were saying a moment ago mm -hmm. it the ending right is mm -hmm. not so much um, what is important, but the wave, the 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 changes yeah. um, that are caused in that passage, right? Exactly. Of the person. Exactly. Yeah. This disruption. The disruption. Like exactly. you know, this unexpected meeting or unexpected pairing, um, mm -hmm. so that it it will it will change the way that your life has flowed. Or that mm -hmm. your assumption of yourself is, and definitely with this entitled politician, mm -hmm. there's an assumption of privilege mm -hmm. that becomes mm -hmm. completely disrupted because of this mm. one person. You're having a lot of fun, though, <laughs> creating <laughs> things, I can tell. <laughs> um, yes, definitely. <laughs> can, can you share a little bit? Let's say that we have in our audience. Um, you know, people who are just beginning to write, and especially narrative. Can you share some of your, um, let's say, um, habits, rituals that lead to using the day-to-day -day living in such a masterful way? <laughs> Can you share some of um, yes. whatever comes to mind? Sure, and, and thank you very much for the compliment. I wouldn't say it was masterful, but I would say um, that being open to any um, impression or influence, and I'm, I'm not, let me explain that in a different way. Mm -hmm. I love being out in nature. I mean, mm -hmm. I get so much from being among trees and walking right. on the earth or being next to the ocean. And Perambulation is huge. Uh, we have John Muir, we have Bruce Chatwin, so many of the great writers walked mm -hmm. as, they, mm -hmm. as they thought about things. Mm -hmm. And for me, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily, I must think about this deep thought. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I'm hiking, I might be singing happy birthday to myself. Mm -hmm. And then there's this astonishing mushroom sticking out of a tree, or there is, you know, 
a fawn peeping behind from uh, its mother or if I'm lucky or yeah. there's a butterfly or there is yeah. just the beautiful variation in green I mean there's so mm. many so many mm. different types of green mm. or on the way home I'll hear something on the radio mm. and for me very often rage is where I start in, mm. in a story is just that's your opening that's your the injustice <laughs> the injustice I it will just get me every time I remember hearing an amazing um uh, program on NPR about the tunnels between Palestine and Israel actually mm. Palestine and Beirut where they were they were they were they build these tunnels so that they can get supplies because mm. the Israeli border is closed. Mm -hmm. That to me was just astonishing, mm. Mm. and so that led to the story that came out from Thirty Below was about this little boy who has to go through the tunnel and get supplies for his family. Yeah. So it's just yeah. this um, this reaction to these these places where injustice is so rampant, and it's always. Mm. around us in you know all over the world mm. look at what's going on in America right now right right and right. all of that is going on all the time and mm. all you need if you are um for me is an a, a small exposure to mm. one story or to some comment or mm. something in the paper I you know might have read a headline uh, right. say that you saw beautiful things came from that mm. story in the paper where somebody is talking about their Lebanon and you know, the bombing that has been going on and pleading with the photographer, say that you saw beautiful things. And that was just mm. such an arrow to the heart. Mm. So it's taking yourself out of what you would do normally, which is we're in the house or we're going to mm. school or to mm. work. Put yourself somewhere where you can receive a different message, whether it's from the radio or from a phone or from reading or from just being in a beautiful environment, if you're able to get out to the park or to some green place or put your hands in the dirt, you know, if you can do that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, what I'm thinking is the element that I'm hearing here the most um, that is impacting you and your prolific writing is that you are curious and mm -hmm. open. Is mm -hmm. the openness and also the what Tignaham used to call the inter interbeing, right? Like always yes. seeing your communion with everything that is around you. So it's, it's that connecting that's so beautiful. It, it's active, I think. It's an mm -hmm. active connection. And I am, I'm, I'm very mm -hmm. curious. And I think if you cultivate that curiousness as a writer mm -hmm. or a beginning writer, mm -hmm. and you leave off that little shoulder editor yes. that says, oh, you can't write that. Oh, right. you shouldn't write that. Right. You know, all of those things can stop you as a writer. Mm -hmm. If you mm -hmm. replace it with curiosity, mm -hmm. what's it like to be this other right. person? Right. You know, what's it like to what what's what does their day look like what's yeah. it like to be this animal or this little insect or this tree you know what would the tree say what would that conversation look like as foolish or as silly as it might seem mm -hmm. it can open you into so many more dimensions and if you are writing a story if you're if your um listeners are writing a story mm. and they're stuck mm. go away from the story Mm, yes away and pick up something that you wouldn't normally do uh paint or draw mm. or take photographs mm. for me it's it's photography that's mm. always the way in because by using a different medium you will mm. always come back to the thing that you're wanting to do which is writing the story 
That makes so much sense because also when you come back, there is a freshness, right? And, and then you're coming uh, charged with whatever experience you were um, living through. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Uh, one, one extraordinary um, set of experiences for me being mm. new to Portland has been walking the bridges mm. in Portland. And there's so much there. It's not just these extraordinary structures. I mean, so many beautiful mm. bridges, so many difficult bridges to cross. There's one that's mm. just so packed with traffic. You feel as though you're being buffeted with mm. the cars as you walk across it. Mm-hmm. But the walking itself and the changing perspective as you walk and continue yeah. and being aware of the fact that this is bridge, which is such a massive metaphor for, mm. you know, for life and moving from experience to experience. So understanding that whatever you do when you take yourself out of your normal experience is going to open and reveal so many layers in what you're writing yeah so so wonderful to hear you give these 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 um important ins into how we stay connected to the writing and the story and um yeah and then the stories unfold right on their own yeah. Um, because that's a way for us to get out of the way of yes. the story. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you yeah. as a as a, a tremendous poet, I know you yeah. as a brilliant poet, Mariana, yeah. you know very mm-hmm. much how difficult it is to sink into that play mm. without paying attention to it. You know, it's always the right. never looking directly at the object, right. but looking away. So it's like having some shy creature. Yeah. And that if yeah. you look away from it, it will come to you yeah yeah and 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 something that um I think is implied in what you're saying is the use of the body the Mm. use of our somatic awareness right like how we tune in to Mm. places and and experiences and then learning to listen from that and to to speaking and writing from that place from that that knowing Mm-hmm. So important and very well put. Thank you, Marianella. Mm-hmm. I know when I went, when I was walking the bridges, I would take the bus. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to take the bus mm-hmm. because then you you have this sense of being moved from one place mm-hmm. and you're looking at the streets <laughs> as you're going, you know, because you're not driving. You, you can do the looking. There's a lot yeah. of stopping and starting. There's other people. And so you've got the sense of all of us are moving in this, in this yeah. sense towards something else. And then when yeah. you get there, you have to walk to the bridge. You know, some of the bridges are quite close, but some of them mm. are not that easy to get to. Mm. And so all of it is journey and all of it is traveling. All of it is revelation. So it's not just being on the bridge. It's everything that leads up to the, oh, it's a hot day. I'm having to walk on the tarmac. Here's an unexpected bush of roses by the side of the road that's mm. you know, that's um, wind pollinated or insect mm. pollinated, mm. but just... Mm it doesn't look like other roses because it's getting a lot of exhaust on it. And then what, what must it be like to sit on a corner as a person is so much homeless, mm. right? Um, what is it like to sit on a corner in your tent and the only breath of air you get is the exhaust from the bus as it turns the corner, mm. sitting there in the hot day. So you're constantly having these openings to transport yourself and change and open and lessen this sense of being aware because being a writer, it's so hard to get that out of the way. Right. But the more you immerse, as you point out, it's the better your opportunity is to immerse into the story. Absolutely. 
Um, I hope our listeners are taking notes. <laughs> now let's turn to the work you are doing now. Um, you're empowering women through writing and exploring personhood, right? And mm -hmm. inner worth. Where are you in the process? You and I spoke uh, a few months ago, was it uh, months or was it, it was last months year? ago? It was, it was at the beginning of the year. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So things have moved along mm -hmm. and as they've moved along, I've begun to clarify as mm. I move into the work, it's, it's very much not about what I intend, but mm. about what the clients want. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. and, and the writing is a portal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in the in the masterclasses in one-on-one -on -one work, whether I'm mm -hmm. working with a corporation um, and fortunate enough to be work, working with a university in the spring mm -hmm. of 2023, mm -hmm. it will be different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the writing is not about being a writer. It's mm -hmm. about releasing internally held pain. So epigenetic mm -hmm. pain, ancestral mm -hmm. pain, familial pain. Mm -hmm. It's mm. about externalizing that and understanding that's not your pain. Mm. It doesn't belong to you. You can let yeah. that go. And then with that, and it doesn't happen immediately, of course, comes the realization that there is more to this person than just the pain they're carrying. They are, there is so much more dimension to them. There's so much more beauty and strength and rootedness and power that they carry the ability to create and dimensionalize the world that will impact so many other people. And that's when mentorship comes in, about pairing professional women with these young women just entering the workplace as mentors. Mm. And then expanding, you know, young women then get the benefit of that mentor and they can also pass that experience on to the generation below them and below mm. them so that we have a continuum of young women feeling so supported, so nourished, so held up, so validated mm. that they can actually dismiss racism as unnecessary. Right. As, you know, this, this is not, this is your story. This is not my story. And this is who I am as a professional. So that mm -hmm. gradually it will become less and less important or it will become less of a of a a centrally oppressive element mm. in the workplace which can so destroy women absolutely and men as well but i'm working with women you're working with women and uh women of color specifically um, no it's no it, okay. i've actually expanded it to non-bipoc women as well because mm -hmm. everybody has been traumatized by racism absolutely it's artificial absolutely. construct meant yes. to separate people yes yes and yes. so yes the conversations will be awkward at first mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we need to move away from white tears because mm -hmm. that's a distraction right but if you as a non-bipoc woman are willing to enter the conversation we as bipoc women are willing to meet you there that is but so listen important to us. that is so important can, yeah. can you say more about the epigenetic pain that doesn't belong to us yes um, and helping helping yes. women see that or human beings but you know specifically you're working with women and um I myself work primarily with women but not not exclusively mm -hmm. uh, can you say more about that? Yes. 
So one of the things that happens with uh, women who enter the programs with me or working in classes mm -hmm. is not knowing that they have pain that they're carrying. So they are mm -hmm. aware of the pain, but they don't mm -hmm. know where it comes from. Mm -hmm. So they consistently get pain that's not induced by trauma. Mm -hmm. It just sits in the neck or it sits in the mm -hmm. throat or mm -hmm. in the shoulders. Mm -hmm. And then when they understand this pain may not be yours. It may have been passed on to you mm -hmm. from women who have been used to carrying a lot of burden in their shoulders. Correct. This may be passed on to you. Mm -hmm. So those are physical, physiological manifestations, but there's also emotional. Okay, why am I sad? I don't have anything mm -hmm. to be sad about. Why am mm -hmm. I depressed? Am I just, do I have a condition? Mm -hmm. When some of this comes from way back, mm -hmm. this comes back from, you know, if you have, for example, if you have an immigrant family who comes to the country and they are fleeing war, mm. they will have a heightened sense of awareness, right? Absolutely. Because they are, and not, when is the next bomb coming? When is somebody going to come and bang on the door and tear us out of the house? Right. That heightened sense of awareness will come with them. They can't mm. just shed it mm. into mm. a country where one, they don't want to be, and two, mm. there's going to be racism, and three, <clears throat> they don't need to have mm. that heightened sense of alertness. Yeah. But that will be there with them and that will be passed on to their children non-verbally by modeling. So mm. now you have children in a heightened sense of awareness where they don't need to be, which can be really damaging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And without understanding that and without knowing how to release it, that gets passed on again. So we've got generations of pain being passed on over and over again without people understanding this is not my pain. Yes, exactly. Right? So, so important, such an important conversation. You know, in his book, My Grandmother's Hands, mm. Resma Manakin calls that dirty pain. Yes, right? exactly. That pain that, that comes out in abusive ways. Right. Um, in explosive ways. And as you were saying, it's not a BIPOC thing. It's not even a colonized people thing. It's, a, it's, it's, it's pain that is disseminated uh, among all of us. Yes. Uh, whether we are white, brown, blue, yellow. Right, exactly. <laughs> and we pick up this pain, mm. not just from modeling, but mm. when we, I mean, we forget gosh, we forget so much. When we are carried inside our mothers, all we have is sensation. Yes. You know, it's like a washing machine in there. So it's not that they <laughs> hear what our mothers are saying, right? But there is a sensation. And when the baby is born, there is no language. There is mm. no way of direct communication except through feelings, through eye contact, through touch. Mm -hmm. So your child will grow with all of that. Mm -hmm. So the mother may say to you, Everything is fine when the child is looking at the parents and knowing this is not okay. Mm -hmm. Or they will sense feelings from you. I shouldn't trust people of darker skin because they could do this. None of that has been articulated, but it's being passed on. And that is part of the issue with epigenetic pain or dirty absolutely. pain as Reza can calls it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and it's absolutely. also to do with stories and the women I work with do this 
Mm. stories that haven't been passed down so we look Mm. back at our ancestors they may be voiceless they may be faceless they're still there but their stories have been too brutal to tell they have been silenced their stories have been overwritten by white narrative correct and unless we release that Mm -hmm. we will continue to bear it Mm -hmm. so part of the work that we do is releasing the story through writing through storytelling through art, through painting, through mm-hmm. singing, through whichever way it comes through. So we make a monument to beauty out of mm-hmm. pain. And then yeah. we can move to the work of mentorship. That is, yes, a monument to beauty out of pain. Yes. Let's mark that <laughs> in, in the center of our awareness that that is possible. So how can people access um more information about working with you and uh, what is a good way? Well, there are two uh, that come to mind immediately. One is my mm-hmm. website, mm-hmm. Um, which is www.wildwomenleadersofcolor.com. Mm-hmm. So it's wildwomenleadersofcolor.com. And that's up there and you can find the different programs. Um, I also work with end of life people who want to get a story out into the world. And that's a very short program. Mm. Um, There is a program starting on August the 15th, uh, which is called Journey to Joy. And it's coming from pain, Uh releasing that for women who want to pivot out of corporate, out of their career, who want to start Mm. their own business, but need to release that pain first. And that uh, there's a free masterclass um, which is at Eventbrite, but if you go to Facebook mm-hmm. and you look for Wild Women Leaders of Colour, you will get to that page and you'll be able to click on the link and that will get you the free masterclass. The programme itself starts on the 15th and that will be a four-month programme. So through Facebook through, uh-huh. or through my um, website, but the, the new programme is not yet on the website. So you'd have to go to my Facebook page first to find okay. that information. Beautiful. Thank you so, so much for sharing you with us and, of course, um, your work. Um, it's it's um, so available on, on, the, on the web and through, through bookstores, of course. Yes. People can buy your books. Is there a final message that you want to share? Um, with the audience anything that I didn't ask and you said why didn't you ask me this I want to say this <laughs> no first of all thank you Marianella for inviting me um, and I also want to pay tribute to the work that you're doing in your mm-hmm. quiet understated but mm-hmm. extraordinarily powerful way you are thank such you. a voice for women so thank you for what you do women all over America and I'm sure all over the world are mm. holding their hearts and saying thank you that Marianella <laughs> is out there you're an incredible force. <laughs> um, the last thing that I would like to share with your listeners if anybody if anybody is questioning where they are mm. if they are feeling sad or unfulfilled mm. or feel there's something else listen to that voice don't dismiss it don't feel that you ought to be holding down a job you ought to be taking Mm -hmm. care of everyone in your life as mothers it's really hard we have that sense right Mm -hmm. 
there is space for you too. Women always put themselves at the bottom of the list when it comes to mm. taking care of themselves. If you have that sense that there's something else, believe it, believe it. Your body doesn't lie. If your body is telling you something, <laughs> please listen and follow that. Whether you follow Marianella, whether you come and want to chat to me for a discovery session or just chat, or there are people, you know, there are these amazing gurus, Resma Menachem, sign mm. up for his courses. There are so many people that you mm. can reach out to. Listen to that voice that's talking to you and respond and give yourself a chance to open to the extraordinary beauty that is you as a mm. powerful, wonderful, rooted, inspired woman mm. who will benefit everybody around you. If you take that step, people will notice the difference. Beautiful. I love that, that the portal of entry is actually the pain, but it's not the end. It doesn't determine. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Sandra. And thank you all for listening to What a Word is Worth. You can access today's interview at Anchor, YouTube, and other platforms. And if you find this program helpful, please subscribe. Just hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And also, if you found our program beneficial, leave, just let us know. Leave a review. I am with you in love and compassion. Always, always, always.